Hi, this is Peter Bogdanovich, and you're listening to Vicki Adelson's The Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Adelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh my God, oh yes! She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Wheezy, John. So you're in the studio. You can see me. I've got right now. I've got like this headphone on my on my head. You do. But normally, like my hair is kind of you know my hair is my thing. My I'm very I'm very my hair is kind of a signature for me. Okay. And I haven't changed my hairdo in about thirty years, maybe more. But anyway, so I'm very attached to this part of me because I think it represents me I think people associate it with me you know it's kind of become a sign that with my feathers especially my feathers in my hair which I started because my hairdresser who is Cindy Wright at Coif Salon in Studio City you know when I was coming out to LA um, a dozen years ago I had a guy in New York that I went to for years and I was really traumatized that I was moving to Los Angeles and I was gonna have to find a new hairdresser and I was pretty freaked out about it because I don't yeah it's, that's your hair is your thing yeah anything yeah. else you know I'll go to yeah but no and actually that's not true I'm loyal to like the same doctor the same anyway so my friend Kathleen Wilhoyt Fabulous actress, fabulous singer. Her. You, Kathleen's fabulous. Yeah. She suggested that I go to Cindy. I loved her hair, and I I was scared. And it was before we moved out here, like six months before, so I could find somebody before. Right? I was like looking for a house and looking for a hairdresser. Those okay. were the two important okay. things. Yeah. So and the schools. It was all about the schools. Well, anyway, so I go to Cindy, and she does my hair the first time, and it's magic. And so now it's twelve years later. Nobody touches my hair, but Cindy Wright at Coif Salon in Studio City. She is phenomenal. She does my highlights because I'm not a natural salt and pepper. No, I, somebody said I had salt and pepper. I don't have gray in my hair. No, it's blonde and whatever other color that is. And there's a lot of that. And it's kind of very stripey and, and kind of not natural looking, which I love. And it's very choppy and, and kind of... It's an event. It's an event. The hair is an event. And Cindy is brilliant every time. And, you know, like I, I look back at pictures and I see that, you know, it's changed minimally, you know, through like, and, you know, each time when I do it, I'm like, oh, I liked it better last time until like two weeks later and then I love it. Anyway, I can't recommend her highly enough. I love, love, love her. So if you are looking for somebody that you can trust, depend on, who's fantastic and who's so much fun, I she's become one of my best friends, go to Cindy Wright at Quaff in Studio City. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hi, this is Vicki Abelson with The Road Taken, part two of my conversation with Peter Bogdanovich, uh, director extraordinaire, raconteur extraordinaire, author, actor, Oh, yeah, amazing, amazing Peter Bogdanovich. Before we uh, get to part two, I just wanted to say a little word about love and romance. And I think Peter is, has been very much driven um, by his emotions and by his passions and by love. Um, he's fallen in love with his leading ladies and and devoted a great deal of his life to loving these women and um, kind of a beautiful thing. And I think especially now in this time of uncertainty and horror show that's going on in our country, in the world, as a result of our country, it's more important than ever for me to focus on love and to believe in romance and happiness and to find the joy where 
whenever I can find it and celebrate it and be grateful for it and take every small victory and really savor it. And thanks to Stacy Souther for coming out with me and making this possible. And back in the studio to Louise Palanker and John Maddox who make the week to week possible. I'm just filled with gratitude and an incredible amount of love and, um, and joy to have this experience and to uh, be living this. It's, it's really living my dream. And The Road Taken is about trying to figure out a way for us all to live our creative dreams and merge it with commerce, which our guests tend to all do, and which has still eluded me, that commerce part. I hope we'll talk to Peter some uh, about that. I'm trying to remember if we talked about how he merged commerce, and I believe we did. Um, So without further ado, here is part two of my conversation with Peter Bogdanovich. Um, Well, Pig Moon was Tatum won the Oscar, which was surprising. (laughs) And um, then I went to Italy to make a picture called Daisy Miller, Mm -hmm. which... uh, it didn't fare well. I it was that was a pretty good picture. Uh, the New York Times said it was the best Henry James ever made, mm-hmm. and Corbidal agreed, and so did Leon Edel, who was Henry James's biographer. Wow! I thought it was a pretty good picture, but mm-hmm. nobody went to see. I, I knew nobody'd go see it. I, I said, well, I mean, it's just had three hits. I can make one that isn't a hit. <laughs> I just think it might be an interesting picture. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. The minute you have a flop, they get nervous. Because in Hollywood, the old axiom, you're only as good as your last picture, is true. It is, huh? It is. So so what happened after Daisy Miller? They got a little bit more scared. They didn't want me to do it exactly the way I want to do it. And then they got a little bit more scared when I made a flop musical. What? Called, called it Long Last Love. Oh, uh-huh. we, we used to call it Long Last Turkey. Was that Burt Reynolds? It was. Yes, I remember that film. I well, like that film. Well, yeah, people like it because they saw a different cut than the one we opened with. Oh, so it became liked because of a different cut. Uh-huh. And that's another whole amazing story. Mm-hmm. Because we were, the studio loved the picture. Mm-hmm. They just loved the dailies because all the song numbers were in one shot mm-hmm. without a cut and live. Wow. So all the musical numbers were done like that, live with just a piano accompaniment. Then we put the orchestra in later. Wow. And, and they all sang live. Uh-huh. So the studio would see the whole scene. Mm-hmm. They loved it. Mm-hmm. So they rushed me. They went to open at the Radio City Music Hall. We got a good booking and everything. It wasn't right, though. Mm. Because when you do an original musical for, for Broadway, for example, you go out on the road for a few months, mm-hmm. play it and see how it plays. Mm-hmm. And take songs out, put songs in. Because mm-hmm. the biggest problem in making a musical is the balance between dialogue scenes and song numbers. Mm-hmm. you got to get that right. Mm-hmm. If you don't get that right... You know, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Again, it comes down to construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we, that, it wasn't right. We, we were rushed into Was the, it too much music or too much dialogue? It was just wrong okay. blend. Okay. And uh, we opened and it got killed and then they pulled it. Then I said, let me recut it for television. I did. Mm-hmm. And, and unbeknownst to me, for something like 30 years, I didn't know this. The picture pl- played, and people c- came to me, and they'd say, we saw it on TV. Why did it get bad reviews? It was, it was a charming picture. Mm-hmm. very funny. I said, that's not the cut that was released. Mm-hmm. It's a cut I made afterward. But you know what? It wasn't. Oh, really? It wasn't a cut I made afterward. They showed the original? No. Oh. It turns out that... Well, well, I'll tell you what, it just, it's an amazing story, actually. Um, about three or f- maybe five years ago now, maybe more, I, I lose track of time, somebody called me and said, At Long Last Love is playing on Netflix, it's streaming on Netflix. I told really? So I went and looked at it, and I'm watching, and I said, wait a second, I cut that scene, what's it doing there? And then I saw another scene, I said, I cut that scene, it was, but it's good, why did I cut it? <laughs> then, then I saw the... Ah, oh, that's interesting. That's shorter than I made it. The whole thing was recut by somebody else. And I called Fox, 20th Century Fox. Wow. I, had, I, I had final cut. Uh-huh. 
And I called Father. I said, where the hell did this version come from? And they were a little bit scared. And I said, no, no, I like it. I just want to know where it came from. And uh, they told me that a guy who had died about two years before this phone conversation, mm -hmm. named James Blakely, had been the head of Fox editorial at that time, mm -hmm. and had been a Cole Porter aficionado, and had in fact been in a couple of Cole Porter shows when he was a young man. Mm -hmm. So he obviously cut it the way he thought it should be. Wow. I said, how long has this been in circulation? Since 1978. Get out of here. Uh, so all that time people were saying we liked that cut. I thought it was my TV cut. It wasn't my TV cut. It wasn't any cut I had anything to do with. It, except wow. it was rather closer to the first preview cut, uh -huh. which was a disaster in a preview we did. But that's mainly, and it's a long story. Anyway, so Jim Giannopoulos at Fox, I mm -hmm. call him up and I tell him. And he says, you mean there's a cut? Let me get this straight. You mean there's a cut that you like? that you had nothing to do with and you like it? I said, yeah, it's terrific. He said, well, that's one for the history books. I'll said, say. Oh, well. Anyway, so that, that's the one that's out now on Blu-ray. I wonder if that's the, I mean, I saw it back in the day. I, I'm sure I saw your, your cut, I'm guessing, because well, I saw it back when it came out. It wasn't as good as, as well, Jim Well, I'll have to see it again now. Then I did, then I had another problem. Now that, that was the second flop. Uh, the so how much time is there? You're saying that you're only as good as your last movie. So Daisy Miller happens, that Long Last Love happens. Is, but it doesn't sound like you had any time off in there anyway. Well, it was 72, 73, 74, yeah. 75, yeah. So I did um, another picture, which I've been wanting to do, but I made a mistake, and I got involved with a couple of producers I shouldn't have. And uh, it, was an, it was a story about the early days of Hollywood, mm -hmm. the early days of filmmaking, mm -hmm. 1910, 1915. And um, I'd been wanting to do that based on interviews I'd done with all these directors who had been working in that period, like mm -hmm. Alan Dwan, who started directing in 1910. And um, I remember I told Orson, I'm interviewing Alan Dwan. He said, Alan Dwan? He said, he started directing around the time of the invention of the electric light. <laughs> I said, that's right, it was just close. So, um, Anyway, I came to, it was called Nickelodeon, and uh, the head of the studio, who had been my agent, mm -hmm. David Beagleman, who turned out to be sure. a crook and then shot I remember himself. remember Yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't shoot himself before this picture. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he refused to let me make it in black and white. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd, I'd had two hits yeah. in 71 and 73 in black and white. You're the only one making black and, and white And now it's that are... 76, yeah. and he says no. Well, I, I didn't think it would work in color, and I was right, and mm -hmm. it didn't, didn't quite work. And then I recut it because they put pressure on me, and I, so it wasn't mm -hmm. what I wanted. Now, mm -hmm. years later, about five years ago, I got them to make a black and white print for me. Oh, wow. And it's on DVD, and it's a different movie. Wow. The New York Times said when a director's, a director's cut, sometimes he, he adds three, four, five minutes, and, and they're helpful, but it doesn't change the picture. This is a completely different movie. Wow. Uh, it, it is, it's black and white. It's wow. Just, and the funny thing is, when we, when we shot it, Laszlo Kovacs was the cameraman. I said, Laszlo, someday this is going to be shown in black and white. So light it for black and white, not, wow. color, not, not color. Because you don't have to light for color, because the color gives, the, gives mm -hmm. you all the uh, contrasts, mm -hmm. differentiations, and so on. But, but black and white, you have to light for that. So he lit for it. So it, it looked great in black and white. Wow. And, um, and then I added five minutes back, which was very important, five minutes, because it showed that Ryan was a bit of a shit, mm -hmm. the character. Mm -hmm. And he s screwed John Ritter's girlfriend. All, the, all that was cut out because they wanted to make it a kind of a what's up doc instead mm -hmm. of a much more serious sort of comedy drama. Mm -hmm. So I took two, three years off and uh, went around the world with Sybil a couple of times. And then we made a picture called St. Jack with Ben Gazzara. I don't think I ever saw Which I shot in Singapore. Uh-huh. 
That's one of my best pictures. Oh, God. Well, I'll be going and seeing it it's now. It's on DVD. Mm -hmm. uh, I did it for Roger Corman. I had wanted to, I wanted to do the book. Mm -hmm. it was, it was, actually, Orson told me about it, and then we got in a big fight over it, but it's, a, it's another long story. And I, I, I thought the book was interesting. Mm -hmm. <coughs> it didn't quite work. It was interesting. And so we did a draft, and then... I wanted to use Ben Gazzara, whom I'd met with Cassavetes. Such an amazing actor. And, and I had seen, the first thing I ever reviewed in my life mm -hmm. was a, him in End as a Man off-Broadway mm -hmm. in 1954 or something. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think 54. So, um, so I wouldn't do it with Ben. I wouldn't, work with, I wouldn't do it with anybody else. And the studios wouldn't do it with Ben. Paramount said, we'll do it, but not with Ben Gazzara. How about Paul Newman? How about Warren Beatty? I said, I want Ben Gazzara. Wow. So I went to Roger Corman, mm -hmm. and I said, will you do it with Ben Gazzara? Mm -hmm. And I said, it'll cost about a million. And he, he's very tight. Mm -hmm. So he said, yes, but don't spend more. And he claims that I spent more. I actually <laughs> spent less, but that's another story. So we shot it in Singapore, the whole thing. And that was amazing, because you weren't allowed to make the picture in Singapore, because they hated the book. They blacklisted the book, because they, they, it painted Singapore and they thought not in a very nice light mm -hmm. because during the Vietnam War mm -hmm. Singapore was a place where the American soldiers came for R&R &R, which mm -hmm. basically meant hookers and, mm -hmm. and booze. booze yeah. mm -hmm. So um, we made the, we, Roger said okay and we made the picture and it won the Critics Prize in Venice which hadn't been given since for seven years. Wow. And Ben won something and he went from being a $15,000 actor to 500000 in one picture. And they hired him to do Bloodline with Audrey Hepburn mm. because of St. Jack, mm -hmm. Paramount did. And then he fell in love with Audrey, and mm -hmm. Audrey sort of fell in love with him. They had a relationship anyway. And um, he came back and was raving about her. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. Audrey, my saint. She's a saint, Peter, Peter, she's a saint. <laughs> So I had the idea to make a picture. I, I had had an idea about a picture, which was, uh, it just came into my head, I don't know, what about making a picture about some detectives who fall in love with the people they're following? Mm -hmm. And that became They All Laughed. Mm -hmm. And that was a tragedy because Dorothy Stratton was murdered after we finished making the picture and, and it screwed me up for a few years. Mm -hmm. And then I made Mask. I heard from Eric Roberts today, which was just a coincidence, but very strange coincidence. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. So, so they all laughed. It was my mm. favorite picture. It was still is my favorite picture, and mm. I thought it was the best picture I'd made. And uh, Audrey was divine, and Benny mm. was great. And mm. John Ritter, I adored John Ritter. He's mm. my dearest friend. Mm. And um, and I was madly in love with Dorothy, and she was crazy about me. And that's a long story, because there's a subtext to this involving Playboy and all that, and I don't want to get into it. But you sure? No, it's just okay. too heavy. Okay. But anyway, she was killed, and I took three, four years to write a book about her. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they came to me, I was broke by then, and they came to me with asking to do Mask, which was the story of this... Wait, wait, before you get to Mask, so you broke, so... How does it... Okay. The reason I got broke is because I bought, I refused to let anybody, but I, I went crazy. And I, though everybody advised me not to, mm -hmm. I bought the film back from, from Time Life and, mm -hmm. from, and took it away from Fox mm -hmm. and decided to distribute it myself, which mm -hmm. was the stupidest thing I've ever done. And I lost half, $5 million, which was what I had at that mm -hmm. time, and my house and everything. So... Uh, wasn't as I said I was I didn't trust anybody and I it was a big mistake you can't self-distribute because I mean for example we opened at Westwood mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, when the picture went from first run to a lot of theaters mm -hmm. we played 15 weeks at the Beverly Hills Music Hall mm -hmm. it was huge mm -hmm. popular and then we, we opened in the city break we went to a man theater in Westwood mm -hmm. under, near the, the college University and um, we did better business than anything in in town, anything in the neighborhood that weekend. But mm -hmm. the Paramount, but they pulled it the following week because Paramount put Reds in there. Paramount obviously, I have no power against Paramount. 
So you can't self-distribute. So I lost my shirt, and I spent a lot of time writing this book about her, The Killing of the Unicorn, mm -hmm. and um, which got a lot of bad reviews, and one great one from the Los Angeles Times. And um, it was sort of a bestseller for a while. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, Then they came to Marty Stager came to me with a picture called Mask, mm -hmm. and it was a story of this deformed kid told, told over a period of ten years. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, "You can't do ten years. You got to do the last year of his life." And um, Anna Hamilton Phelan and I and Marty Stager sat in his office over a period of nine drafts. And then we shot it. And, um, Whose idea was it to cast Cher? Well, that's funny. Uh, Marty Starger, we talked about who's going to play the mother. And he came to me at my house and he gave me a, a, a piece of paper which had, I think, 20 or 30 women mm -hmm. of that age category. Mm -hmm. Jane Fonda and everybody was mm -hmm. on the list. And also on the list was Cher. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking down this and I said, Cher, that's interesting. Why? He said, well, you can't believe that Jane Fonda would be a biker, uh, a druggie and a biker. It just doesn't, she'd be acting. Mm -hmm. But with Cher, even though she wasn't a druggie, mm -hmm. and she wasn't a biker, but mm -hmm. you could believe it. Mm -hmm. I said, you can believe it with Cher. My whole goal in casting always is to try to erase the line between the actor and the character nice. so that they become one mm -hmm. which is really what the entire star system was based on originally mm -hmm. bogart was bogart mm -hmm. and his character but mm -hmm. he was but he was bogart mm -hmm. john wayne was the character but he was also john wayne it was mm -hmm. to carrie grant same thing and all the big stars interesting they they developed a persona that was based on them and you you know like i, I said to robert aldo aldrich who made a picture with jimmy I said, when you knew you had Jimmy Stewart, did you change the script? He said, yeah. I said, well, how'd you change it? Well, we wrote it for, for what Stewart seems to be. Mm. Seems to be. Well, but what about, like, Cloris? Because Cloris was actually very pretty. Yeah, well, that's a different kind of movie. That wasn't a movie star okay. movie. Okay. That was an ensemble. That's a character part, not a yeah, leading so, part. Okay, I, I get it. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I still try to erase the line. She she was very believable in that because she could look attractive mm -hmm. and she could look plain. Mm -hmm. And so that was really what, and she was very good in the reading. Though she didn't, she wasn't anything like the character when she wasn't reading. Mm. Nothing. Well, but she just of course really I know actress. isn't, that's for that's sure. Right. Yeah, that's right. So then, uh, so we made Mask. Mm -hmm. And I, I had Springsteen's music. It's another fight I had to go through. The picture was well received, but I was very unhappy with it because I had made a deal. I had got Bruce and Springsteen and I were friendly because he, he, he liked some of my movies. And I liked his music and we met, we were friendly. And I asked him if I could use some of his music in the picture because Rocky, the kid, was his uh, favorite singer was Springsteen and the Beatles. Mm -hmm. So... I told that to Bruce, and he said, use anything you want, except Born to Run. Okay, so we had about six Springsteen songs in there, starting with Badlands, mm -hmm. and Promised Land, mm -hmm. and Thunder Road, Born in the USA, you know, so on. And uh, I went to Europe to uh, a vacation. When I came back, they had taken the Springsteen out and put in Bob Seger behind my back. I blew a gasket, sued the studio. You don't, don't do that, Peter. Never said, don't do that. I said, fuck you. And I sued the studio. It's not a good idea to sue the studio. And I was much hated at that point. 30, 20, 20 years later, I got the music in. And it's, on, it's on the director's cut of the of Mask. Why did they do that? That's a long story. Uh, the, 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 let me put it this way. I don't want to get into names, mm -hmm. but executive producers and producers, uh, studio people, mm -hmm. and producers and directors as well, I guess, all have other agendas mm -hmm. sometimes. And this particular 
guy, had nothing to do with mask, he had not greenlit it and so on. So it wasn't, he had nothing to gain. Mm -hmm. But he had another picture that he, that he was pushing. Uh, and so he wanted to minimize my picture. Because mm. he saw it with the right music and everything. Mm -hmm. And everybody at Universal was blown away. Mm -hmm. Because I could tell he'd been crying. But he fucked me anyway. You know, Sid Scheinberg, who was there and who loved the picture, he said, he said, you got a great picture here, Peter, but uh, just be careful we don't screw it up for you. We've been known to do that, you know. And they did. Mm -hmm. Picture still was a big hit. It was fantastic. And I people loved liked it, it because mm -hmm. there were, all the scenes were scenes that I had directed and mm -hmm. Cher played. But unfortunately, and she won Best Actress at Cannes. Yeah. But unfortunately, it wasn't as good as the version that I had made. And so I was in a very unpleasant position. People came up to me in time, I said, I loved it, and me constantly saying, that's yeah, not the picture I made. <sighs> I shot all of it, mm -hmm. but not with that music. Mm -hmm. And there was about eight minutes, two sequences, eight minutes that were cut out that I really felt should be in. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't let them listen to me. So I put them back. So the director's I'm going to have to see the director's cut. The director's cut. cut is eight minutes longer, mm -hmm. eight and a half minutes. And with the, and with the Springsteen music. Yeah, and with mm -hmm. the Springsteen music. I Bruce finally said, I'll give it to you for nothing. Wow. And so I called, uh, who's the head of Universal now? Ron Meyer. Mm -hmm. I said, Ron, about masks. He said, Peter, don't start. <laughs> I said, no, listen, listen, I got the music for nothing. Bruce says, if it has to be for nothing, he'll give it to me for nothing. He said, write me a letter. So I wrote him a letter and that got it going. So it was really because of Bruce that it exists. Wow. Wow. He had loved the picture mm. with his music. Mm -hmm. And so speaking of you with music, what's this with you and Tom Petty? How did that happen? Well, that was interesting. Um, uh, just hold it a second. Um, I was back in New York, living in New York again. Mm -hmm. uh, I left L.A. in 97 and moved back to New York. I was there for about five, five or six years. And this fellow, uh, George Draculius, who, who, who was a record producer and does a lot of music supervision for movies mm -hmm. as well. And he was a good friend of Wes Anderson's. Mm -hmm. And I had met him through Wes, because mm -hmm. Wes and I were friendly. Because mm -hmm. he was a fan of mine and wanted to meet me. And, and we met and we liked each other. Mm -hmm. so I, I call him my son. Hmm. He calls me Pop. Hmm. And um, George, I'd met through Wes, and George calls me one day and he says, uh, listen, Tom Petty is doing, wants to do a documentary about his um, 30 years of the, yeah, him and the Heartbreakers. Would you be interested in, in doing a documentary about him? I said, yeah, sure. And, uh, yeah, sure. I, 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 yeah, but I, I said, sure, but I'd have to meet him <laughs> first. Mm -hmm. He said, well, can you come out here? I said, yeah, I, I can come out there. Well, we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. I hang up the phone, I call Louise, my second wife. I don't even think we were married anymore. Oh, yeah, I think we still were married, yeah. And, um, we're not married now, but she's my closest friend. So. Is she? Yeah, absolutely. Dorothy's sister, yeah? Yeah, she's mm -hmm. a wonderful girl. Louise, I call her LB. Anyway, mm -hmm. I called LB and I said, who is Tom Petty? <laughs> <laughs> I said, is oh, he, come is, is, on. isn't he a folk singer? She said, no, no, no. <laughs> she said he's the one of the premier folk, uh, he's one of the premier rock and roll stars mm -hmm. in the country, mm -hmm. uh, in the American. I thought, oh, really? I didn't know anything, but never heard of him. So you were like, yeah, I'll make a documentary, and you didn't even know who you were talking well, no, about. no, I, I said I'd meet him. Okay. I said I'd do it, but I had to meet him first. Okay. I, I, but I, you didn't even know who you were talking about at not, the time. Not a clue. But I didn't want to, <laughs> why, 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 why should I say no? Yeah. <laughs> it might be interesting. So I met him. Mm -hmm. I came out here and met him and uh, loved him. Mm -hmm. 
I thought he was great. Mm-hmm. He was so. And once you heard the music, you knew you had heard. Well, I the liked music. the mu- I liked the music, but mm-hmm. uh, I played some of the music mm-hmm. before I met him, obviously. But and I was intrigued because he wrote the lyrics too, which were very interesting, mm-hmm. and um, full of images. Mm-hmm. He wrote in images rather mm-hmm. than plot, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought he was really brilliant songwriter. And then when I met him, he was so much in the Gary Cooper American vein mm. that I just said, this guy is so American. I, and I'm a sucker for things American, mm-hmm. as most first-generation Americans are, like John Ford. And um, so I said, yeah, I'll do it. I know how to do it. I want you to tell the story, just like you told it to me. We spent four hours at Jeffrey's in Malibu, and mm-hmm. he told me the whole story. I said, that's the picture. What you wow. Well, you just told it to me. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. We did interview 28 people. It took me two and a half years to make the thing. Because I, I didn't want to quit. I was having such a good time. I, I fell in love with Tom, and we, we got along very well. And I'd go on the tour, and I'd just stand off, off on stage off to the side. Mm-hmm. It was so much fun. And um, so that it was a, quite a journey to mm-hmm. make that. It was very difficult mm-hmm. uh, to encompass 30 years. And we ended up winning a Grammy. I won, yeah. I won a Grammy. And long form video. Yeah, I said I got, and I said long form video. Ain't kidding. It's four hours. <laughs> four hours. Is it the finished product's four hours? Yeah. Wow. Three hours and fifty-two minutes. Wow. And the, my favorite review was Variety said, "Pick seems half its length." That's true. fantastic. People have said that to me. That That's doesn't, fantastic. Doesn't seem like four hours. That's fantastic. Well. So okay, so now, so so speed, so we, so present day, here we are. Is so you're working on your memoir. Well, I tell you, I kept a, I kept a, a diary for mm-hmm. only barely seven years, mm-hmm. where I kept a daily diary, starting in the middle of '65 mm-hmm. to the middle of '71. Mm-hmm. But a lot of things happened in that particular period, so I've I, I've used en- en- entries from the diary, mm-hmm. a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Most of them shortened them mm-hmm. sometimes, edited. And I've used, for example, when I say I, I went to see a certain movie, mm-hmm. then I go to my card file, uh, which I kept for and you have your review, years, and I have my review, so I stick that in there, <laughs> nice in a different typeface. Mm-hmm. And then if I say something currently about the entry or about the movie or whatever, that's in yet another typeface. Nice. So there's three or actually four typefaces mm-hmm. that I use. Um, and the book is called, but what I really want to do is direct. <laughs> My first picture shows, 1965 to 1971, an intimate journal by. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I've been working on it for years now because it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I've just just about finished with the third pass. It's two, almost 2,000 pages, manuscript. Wow. Yeah, it's going to have to be shorter, but I, I can't deal with it. I'm going to send it to my my editor. It's published by Knopf. Okay, and so there's something else you've been working on for a really long time that you're still working. Is it the Orson Welles you're working on? Oh, that. Yeah, I have a lot of things I'm trying to do that I've been trying to uh, Orson Welles made a movie in the 70s, starting in 1970, actually, mm-hmm. called The Other Side of the Wind. Mm-hmm. And at first I had a small part in it. I was. It's a, it's a story about an aging film director. It's the last day of his life. Mm-hmm. John Huston plays the part. Mm-hmm. And um, Orson wrote it because of something I had told him. He, he had been thinking about something like this, but when I told him this thing in 69 about how, I, how it was tough for John Ford to get a job and Howard Hawks was, you know, and he said, he said, it's just terrible. Mm-hmm. He said, Old age should be treasured. The best works come from old age. Middle age is the enemy of life and art. And you know, all that. Mm-hmm. Orson was very taken. So he wrote a script about this guy's, Houston's character, mm-hmm. um, 70th birthday party, mm-hmm. at the end of which he dies in a car accident. So I started out playing a, a kind of cineast. Mm-hmm. He asked me to be in it because he loved it when I did impressions. Mm-hmm. So I did. Your impressions are amazing. Sometimes uh, I used to be better, but it's Pretty better, with, damn a, better good. with a mic because I, I don't have to mm. project. 
But anyway, thank you. Um, so I did Jerry Lewis for him, and he he loved that. So I, oh, you can't say I, that and I, not I, do it. With I had I had I had questions like, uh, Mr. Hannaford, do you think that uh, <laughs> that the camera is like a phallus? <laughs> that was a stupid line. Something like that. <laughs> Uh, so Orson loved it whenever I did, any, whenever I did anything, in, impression, you know. We were doing a book together, and we'd have a hard time, because he would say, I don't want to work on the book today. I said, come on, Orson. We got no, I don't want to do it. Oh, come on, Orson, let's do it. Do it all. And he'd say, oh, okay, Jimmy. And I got Aww. him with the impressions. Oh. It was funny. So you're working, so you're, you're going to... So he... he we were shooting this thing. He mm -hmm. was shooting this thing. I played this other part. And um, he was shooting for quite a while. In fact, he used my house. But he, I had a house in Bel Air at that mm -hmm. time. And he used to come and stay with us mm -hmm. for a month or two, and then he'd leave and come back. It went on for a couple of, several years, mm -hmm. two, three years. And so when I went to Nick Daisy Miller, he was shooting in my house. Mm -hmm. I mean, people would come up to me and say, I was in your house. <laughs> With Orson Welles, I was an actor. You mean you didn't even know? Oh, yeah, I knew. Oh. I, I told me you could do it. Uh, the funniest thing was when they went to uh, um, Les Moonves mm -hmm. at CBS. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the people that are working on it with me went and they said, because um, we, we were going to do it at Showtime at one point, and um, went to Les Moonves and said, talk about this Orson Welles film. He said, I was in it. He said, you were in it? He said, yeah, I was an extra. Probably in my house. While I was in Italy. Oh, gosh. Can you believe this stuff? You can't write this kind of material. <laughs> so, at one point, I called Orson. He was, he was now in Carefree, Arizona, which is a funny name mm -hmm. for Orson. <laughs> and uh, he was still shooting occasionally. It was all his own money and the money of an Iranian wealthy Iranian uh, brother-in-law of the Shah of Iran, actually. Wow. Mehdi Bouchery. So, um, uh, I called Orson. I said, how are you doing? He says, terrible. I said, what's the matter? He said, I had to let go. I had to let uh, Rich Little go, and it cost me 25 Gs. Why did you let Rich Little go? He said, he can't act. Well, what was he playing? He says, playing a director. Turns out he was playing a director who just had three hits and did impressions. So I said to him, I'd heard this. So I said to him, well, so you let him go, so what are you going to do? He says, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, I, I'm stumped. It cost me 25 Gs, and I don't have that kind of bread. I said, well, why don't I do it? Wow. And he said, it was a long pause. Wow. And he said, well, it never occurred to me. I said, the guy's had three hits, he does impressions, it never <laughs> occurred to you? I said, well, you have, you're playing that other part. I said, well, Orson, you know that other part can, somebody else can do that. It won't be, maybe it won't be this funny, but it's just a throwaway. Mm -hmm. And then he says, oh my God, of course you could be great. Would you do it? I said, yeah. How long did it been when since you, you acted when you did that? Quite a while. Yeah. So, um, he said, when can you come over here? I said, when do you want me? He said, as soon as you can get here. I said, I'll be there, be there by Friday. He said, fine. That's how I got the part. Wow. So when we were shooting, and Houston was there, mm -hmm. we, we played, I had some scenes with John, and, I, and then sometimes John wasn't there, and I'd play with or Orson would be off camera. Mm -hmm. But um, we shot that. I can't remember how long it went on. But um, at some point during the making of this thing. Sometime in the says, mid-73 or something. I, I can't remember when it was, it doesn't matter. Orson turns to me suddenly at lunch and he says, listen, if anything ever happens to me, I want you to promise me you'll finish the picture. I said, oh, Orson, why do you say that for? Nothing's gonna happen to you. Why? I know nothing's gonna happen to me, but if it does, I want you to promise me you'll finish the picture. I said, well, of course I will. All right, we can change the subject. So, um, he died in 85. Yeah. And I've been trying to get it finished ever since. Wow. And uh, Frank Marshall, who's a dear friend of mine, and mm -hmm. was started out as my assistant on Targets, actually, 
you know, he did six or seven pictures. I brought him into it. He he did work with Orson on the picture because mm -hmm. um, my ex-wife Polly and I both suggested that Frank could help Orson, and he did. Mm -hmm. So he knows the picture, mm -hmm. and um, he and another fella, um, Philippe, whose last name is difficult to pronounce. But anyway, uh, we've all got together, and this is moving forward. Mm -hmm. But when it will be ready to be, we we don't have to shoot anything. Right. It wasn't shot everything. It's just a question of editing because he's. He only edited about 30 minutes. And then there was a legal hassle between him and the Iranian and all that. But that's been straightened out, and uh, it's taken a long time to get it into a place where I think we can finally finish it. Well, and is there another picture you're itching to make? Yeah. It's another one I've been working on for a long time. I had the idea in 1981. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, I've done about 10 drafts on it. It's called Wait For Me. It's a ghost picture. Is well, it horror a, ghost or oh, funny no, ghost? No, or? funny. Uh -huh. It's a comedy drama. Uh -huh. what they used to call it a comedy drama. They now call it a, a dramedy. Right. I, if I hear that ever <laughs> punch somebody in the mouth, they say dramedy. What's wrong with comedy drama? It's with the hyphen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, it is a comedy drama with ghosts about six ghosts, but they're all very friendly. <laughs> Good to hear. Yeah, they actually want the leading character to do something for them, and he refuses for a while, and then eventually agrees. And uh, have you cast this many times over the years in different... Yeah. Uh-huh. I wrote it for John Cassavetes. Oh, wow. And then John died, but mm -hmm. before he died, he said, you better make that picture, because he loved, loved mm -hmm. the idea. He, loved the, he didn't love the script. He thought it needed work, but he loved the idea. Mm-hmm. And he gave me some good ideas, too, of how to fix it. And um, he got too sick. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, you better make that picture, Pete. I said, I will. He said, you better, because I'll be there. Wow. He'll be one of the ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have, do you have like, your ideal cast in your head now? Yeah, but I'm not going to say I, I, I won't. I won't go But there. it has to be, uh, the leading character is never off the screen. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be somebody who's charismatic. We have somebody in mind, we're talking to them, we'll see what happens. So it's something that's not too far away. <clears throat> it's not too, I think, toward the end of the year. Nice! A gig that I do, which I did in Telluride a couple of times, did it in New York a couple of times, which is a thing called Sacred Monsters. Sacred mm -hmm. Monsters. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of do impressions and show clips. And, mm -hmm talk about directing and acting and so on. I mean, this is this was a very linear sort of... Well, you're a nice person to talk to. Thank you. Are we, are we rolling? Let's, okay. All right, so here's, here's my last question, Peter. So I ask you this because, you know, I, at the end of every show, I do what I call a takeaway um, with each person. It's like, okay, what do I think is the thing that drove, like I, I, for me with you, I mean, you're just, I don't know how to say this without it sounding like I'm blowing smoke, but you're just a genius. I mean, it's like every single thing that you set your mind to, you did brilliantly. And I don't understand that. I don't understand. No, you don't have, you didn't have the education. You didn't. You didn't have the training. You just jump in there, and you're writing for Esquire, and you're writing books, and you're directing movies, and you're, and and all of them, award-winning. Cal, I mean, it's where do, where does that come from? Were your parents brilliant? My father was brilliant. My mother was brilliant in her own way. Yeah. What What did your father do? Painter. Brilliant. Art, brilliant. fine art painter. Yeah, yeah, he was a brilliant painter. Wow. I woke up, I'd smell paint, because he worked in the house, in, the, in the apartment in New York. Was, and he had to have money, I mean, you went to collegiate, so there had to be money no, in your family. I don't know how they paid for it, they didn't have any money. Really? I just don't know how they did it. Wow. My mother worked a lot, she was working for her father mm -hmm. in an import-export business mm -hmm. in Wall Street, which she hated. But she did it for years, and uh, my father was 20 years older than my mother. About a little bit less, I think. Mm -hmm. And my father was a wonderful guy. 
And so I'm assuming that they supported you. Well, they paid for everything. I don't know how. But I mean, I'm, I, but artistic, creatively. Oh, very much. Mm-hmm. They encouraged you. Oh, yeah. Anything I wanted to do creatively, they were. I remember my father, my relatives. Did they live to see you have the success? My mother did. Mm-hmm. My father only saw targets. Mm-hmm. But he gave me the best review of my life. He just looked at me and nodded. Really? Yeah. But that nod was so filled with meaning. Oh. That's why I like movies. You can go find out that get those kind of moments, you know? Yeah, well, your movies are filled with those kind of moments. Well, that's silent pictures. Mm-hmm. And my father took me to the... Sound pictures, because by the, by the time the sound came in, he was 30 years old. So he grew up with sound pictures. Mm-hmm. And he took me to the Museum of Modern Art, and I saw sound pictures when I was very young. And so I, I always... And you said you went to the theater a lot when you were a kid, so your parents were taking you... the time I was 13. No, my mm-hmm. parents didn't take me once. So how did you go to the What theater? happened was, my <laughs> we were living out, and I remember we were living out in Bayside, Long Island, for mm-hmm. a few months, uh, while... My parents moved from one apartment to another because my sister was born. She was mm-hmm. 13 years younger than me. And um, I was 13. And I was dying to go see the new Martin and Lewis movie. Mm-hmm. I was a big Martin and Lewis fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother said, you're going to go to the theater this week, to, to the matinee. You're going to see Henry Fonda in Point of No Return, a play he did. This is in 1952 or three, something. That's in 53. And I said, No, I want to see the I want to see the Martin Lewis movie. She said, You're going to go to the theater. And I said, No, I don't want to. I got a big fight. I threatened to throw the, the typewriter at her. I was very adolescent <laughs> at this point. She said, You're going to the theater, or you're not going anywhere. So I went to the goddamn theater, and I loved it. Changed your life. Last row of the balcony or whatever it was. It wasn't a great seat. Mm-hmm. But it was Henry Fonda. Mm-hmm. And I was a kid, you know, and I'd seen Henry Fonda in the movies. Mm-hmm. And and uh, there he was on the stage. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I went every weekend from then on, on my own. How? How could you afford it? Well, they weren't a standing room, you know. Mm. The third row, in the last row in the balcony. Wow. It wasn't as like it is now. You could get a seat for 250 or something. But I guess back then, well, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I did it. I, they'd give me the money for it. I, I went. I went. I never. I never went to the theater with my parents. I just went by myself. Wow. Until I got a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Then I went with her. I saw a lot of shows. It sounds like now. It's like now. What I'm getting is but that you thing, just have a hunger. You have like an insatiable curiosity, and passion and hunger. And I think. I don't know. I'm getting that's what kind of drove you, drives you. I don't know. You know, I people say you did so many things and all that, and you're just saying the same thing. And I, I, I actually have to remind myself that I did. Lots I sometimes things. look at my book and I, a book I wrote, and I say, I actually did this. When did I do this? I don't remember. I know I did it, but I, I sort of don't remember it. I do. I do remember it. It's just weird. So now that you've got a few projects cooking, like what's your daily discipline now? Well, right now I'm trying to finish this book, mm-hmm. this diary book, because it's hanging over my head. Mm-hmm. I know there's going to be more work done. I've been working on it for about six years or something. Mm-hmm. People typed it up for me, and assistants typed it, and then I retyped it, and I put all the movies in. I love yeah. the three fonts. I think that's a great thing. Yeah, there's three or four. Mm-hmm. So I've got to finish that, and I'm almost I'm almost done with it. I have to. So do you get up in the morning and like I write? You write first. Is it, how do you? How do a you lot of phone it? calls and emails, and then I finally get down to it mm-hmm. at some point. Usually I do my best work at night when mm-hmm. everybody's leaving me alone. Mm-hmm. This is just mechanical now. I've, I've basically written it. Yeah. The writing is pretty much done, mm-hmm. but I'm cutting it because it's too long. Mm-hmm. Two thousand pages, oh my God. That's manuscript pages, yeah, yeah. double space and yeah. big print, but mm-hmm. it'll come down to, definitely going to be a thousand, nine hundred pages. Well, you're worth reading that much of. 
Well, it's interesting. I, I, I have a very, very good editor at uh, Knopf. Mm -hmm. They published, she was the editor on um, Who the Devil Made It and mm -hmm. Who the Hell's In It, both of which were sort of bestsellers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they're, I'm proud of those books. Mm -hmm. And um, she's a very good editor. Vicki Wilson, and she was the daughter of Mitch Wilson, who was a very good writer, particularly science fiction stuff. Mm -hmm. And he was married to Stella Adler, the, the, his la her, wow. la her last husband. Wow. And I knew him. I, I knew him, and then he died, and then I met his daughter. No, I met his daughter at Stella's, but he had already died. Stella what did, Stella, what did Stella, Stella, Stella think of what happened? I mean, how she watched you unfold. <laughs> she sure did, yeah, Stella. She just was always on to me to keep my integrity. Mm -hmm. And she, but she was very funny about <laughs> I remember I had a Rolls Royce, I had a, a, ninth, a vintage Rolls Royce, mm -hmm. it was a 1962 Rolls Royce. The reason I had it was it had an extra long wheelbase, mm -hmm. what do you call that thing? So. I gave her a ride in it, and she was so funny. She goes, "This is the way an artist should live." <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Okay, so my last question, Peter, is: Do you have a guilty pleasure? Is there anything that you love it to watch, to listen to, to read, to eat that you that kind of surprises you? Chocolate. Okay. Yeah, is that your is that oh, your? It's a bit my bet noir. Mm -hmm. I there's there's a chocolate croissant and there's. Oh God! Yeah, don't yeah. tell me that. Yeah, it's in there. <laughs> uh, what do I do? I I don't know. I'm very. Uh, I'm I'm into what I'm doing, so I really feel like I'm I'm juggling a bunch of things. But mm -hmm. the, the, I've been asked by Charles Cohen, the real estate fellow who owns a lot of old films. Mm -hmm. He's asked me to do a documentary on Buster Keaton mm -hmm. and a documentary on Douglas Fairbanks. Wow. I love both Fairbanks and Keaton mm -hmm. because they go back to my childhood. As I said, my father took me to see silent movies. And um, you see, th that's a very important thing actually because silent movies are the foundation of the art. Mm -hmm. Moving pictures. Mm -hmm. And like you, I just said about the close-up, you, you said a lot of my pictures have those kind of mo mm -hmm. moments between. That's what the best thing about movies mm -hmm. is those kind of moments, and that goes right back to silent pictures, because you can't do that on the stage. Mm -hmm. You can do a lot of things on the stage, but you can't do an exchange of looks. Do you have any favorite, fairly contemporary films? Well, uh, I like Wes Anderson stuff. Mm -hmm. I think he's a good director. He's got a personality. You know. I asked Howard Hawks once. I said. Who have you liked? What directors have you liked over the years? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, I liked almost anybody that made me know who the devil was making the picture. Because the director is the storyteller and he ought to have his own way of telling it. Mm. And so that's why I got the title, mm -hmm. who, the hell, who the Devil Made It. So I like Wes's work. You can recognize his personality. Mm -hmm. I think Noah Baumbach's very good. He's like mm -hmm. a New Yorker writer and he makes movies. Mm -hmm. Good. Quinton I like now and then. Mm -hmm. He knows how to make a movie. I don't agree with his subject matter all the time, but mm. he's, he's a good director. Who else? Uh, there must be some other people. Do you ha has there been a movie this year, the last year, lately that... Blew me away? Yeah. No. When was the last time a movie blew you away? <laughs> Uh-oh. Only Angels Have Wings. <laughs> 1939, Howard <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I don't know. I liked The Revenant a lot. Mm -hmm. I thought that was very well made. I don't. The thing is, Vicky, I don't go to see every movie anymore. Well, mm -hmm. I think again, you're busy. You got stuff to do. I don't. I'm not, I don't have that much interest. Mm -hmm. I just don't. I, I, I kind of prefer to look at an older film mm -hmm. because. So, I, what are your favorite classics? Well, I like anything by Howard Hawks. Mm -hmm. Almost anything by Hitchcock. Or What's your favorite Hitchcock? Do you have a favorite? Well, I like Rear Window, I like mm -hmm. North by Northwest, and I think Notorious is probably his best film. Mm -hmm. Marnie's my emotional favorite. Marnie's terrific. God, I love that movie. Most people don't like that. I always yeah. liked it. When she shoots the horses. The, um, the, the, kiss, the kiss between Sean Connery and Tippi Hedren in that office with, when the lightning is, that's, that's like the kiss. best cinematic kiss I've ever seen. That's a good kiss. That's a great kiss. Um, 
Well, I, 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 I am so grateful to you for spending this time. First of all, I've enjoyed this time so much just sitting and hearing you. Oh, thanks, Vicki. But I feel um, really blessed to have this to share. Well, you're a good interviewer, otherwise I wouldn't be talking so goddamn much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. I didn't do my Hitchcock impression. Oh, wait, wait. Stop. Hold everything. I want to hear it. Let's go. Well, I said to him once, I noticed you didn't, when you made Dial M for Murder, which was a stage play, mm -hmm. I said, um, I noticed you didn't cut it up, you didn't open it up much, you stayed in the apartment. If you have a hit play, just shoot it. <laughs> Don't open it up. Don't try to make it cinematic. Just shoot it. Because if you, if you try to open it, what are you going to have? You're gonna have a shot of a car pulling up. A guy gets out, gets out of the car. Who cares? <laughs> because what you're endangering is you're going to ruin the construction. It's the construction that makes it a hit. So if you change that, you're ruining the very thing you've bought. You, well, you just gave Denzel Washington this year because he shot. Have you seen Fences? No, I haven't. I hear it's well, funny. he basically took a play and just. He did exactly what, what Hitchcock said to do. Well, yeah, because if you, if you, I love you. Just shoot it. Just shoot it the way Alfred Hitchcock would shoot it. <laughs> yeah, really, which is... Which is pretty brilliant. Pretty brilliant. I had to do that. I had to, in fact, because of that uh, quote, I figured out how to do Noises Off as a movie. A which I loved. Well, thank you. It was a bitch. I saw the play also. I saw it I on saw Broadway as well. I saw yeah. it on Broadway, mm -hmm. and I said, I'd love to make that. And then Spielberg bought it, and I, I went to Frank Marshall, who was working with Spielberg. I said, mm -hmm. I'd really like to do it. Is Stephen going to direct it? He said, no, I don't think so. Um, you want to direct it? I said, desperately. How are you going to do it? I said, well, you just shoot the play, yeah. pretty much. And I told him my Hitchcock story. I told it to Stephen. Mm -hmm. He said, it makes sense. So it was a 200-page script. And, wow. And they said, Warner, uh, Disney said, are you out of your fucking mind? And luckily, Frank Marshall had done Noids, uh, What's Up Doc with me, mm -hmm. which was a 160-page script. Wow. And it played in 94 minutes, the first cut. Wow. For the, yeah, because you go fast. Noises off is so fast. So fast. Well, it was 100 minutes. It was 200 pages. 100 wow. Minutes. I said we'd do 30 seconds a page. Wow. Well, that's, that was fun, but it was because of Hitchcock that I knew what to do with Noises Off, because it was mm -hmm. a hit play, and then we didn't, we tried not, to, we didn't open it up much. We did a little bit, gave mm -hmm. it some air, when, there was, when it wouldn't hurt the construction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the intermissions, we had some stuff, mm -hmm. so on, so It was a lot of fun doing that. The studio did not do a very good job of distributing it, unfortunately. We got great reviews, and they buried it. I'm really happy that you're working on a comedy, well, a comedy drama. It's a comedy drama about a director, a filmmaker like Cassavetes, like Orson, like Woody, somebody who mm -hmm. does everything. Mm -hmm. Acts, directs, writes, produces. And he's been married six times and he has six daughters. And his last wife mm -hmm. was killed in a, car, in a plane crash along with two of his best friends. Uh, six years before the movie starts and he is a complete wreck when we meet him we we hear all this through a we hear all this through a um showbiz tonight segment from cnn or something mm -hmm. that's the way the picture begins and you find out that he's been in italy scouting locations for a picture for some italian company mm -hmm. because he's no longer welcome in hollywood because he beat the shit out of a producer at Fox, and he chopped up a projection of Universal, which John did, by the way. Really? <laughs> so um, he's persona non grata in Hollywood, so he's now conning the Italians. Mm -hmm. This doesn't come out in the, in the showbiz tonight, but it turns out he's bullshitting the Italians that he has a story. He has no story. He's just they're living off their, mm. they're paying for him to travel around Italy. He's traveling with his first wife, mm -hmm. who works with him, and uh, his longtime associate, who's having an affair with his first wife, and his oldest daughter, mm -hmm. who's like 28 or something. And he's traveling with them, and he, they get to Rome, 
uh, and he meets one of his other wives at the at the at state train station, his second wife. And it turns out his daughter, one of their daughter together, mm -hmm. is been touring with a rock star, a young rock star. They call him the Mr. Clean of rock and roll because he doesn't take drugs. And um, but she's disappeared. She was last seen in, in in Vienna, but she's going to Vienna now. The wife. This is the opening. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's disappeared. So. He, then the Italians tell him they're finished with him because he doesn't have a script yet, and so he has to. He doesn't know what to do, so he goes to Vienna, following his second wife, and also because they're doing a Vienna Film Festival, and the Austrians have been asking him to do a film in Austria. So he says, so he does the same thing that he does with, that he did with the Italians. He does with the Austrians. Bullshit, and that he's got a story. <laughs> he's got to find the locations first, so he travels around. Anyway, that's the setup. And this was going to be Cassavetes? That's who you saw in the role? Yeah, that's who I wrote it for. But he, but he never saw this draft. Because mm -hmm. I did a number of drafts. And so weird. It wasn't until River Phoenix, whom I loved, and I did a film with River, uh, his last film. And it wasn't until he died that I realized I didn't have a third act. It's a long story, but it's, it's the, the kid. I don't want to get into it. But it's, it's, a, it's a very good third act. I can't wait to uh, to see who ends up wait. in that role. I can't wait to make it. Thank you, Peter. I adore you. I'm going to give you oh, a kiss. Sweetie. Thank you. Well, that concludes the second part of my conversation with Peter Bogdanovich. Wow. I mean, are you kidding me? Was that not gold? Um, you know, it was tempting. Stacy has video equipment. It was really tempting at the beginning when we were in Alan Carr's disco we were conversing before Peter came in about, should we do, should we video this? Should we, Stacy had lights, should we do that? And we opted not to, because I think being videotaped changes things. It, it you know, that entire hour and a half or two hours, however long Peter and I were talking, he was looking directly into my eyes, other than the few times that he turned over to look at Stacy and to acknowledge him, which he did generously many times. The entire rest of the time, he was right in my eyeballs and he was really telling me his story. And I think, especially as a filmmaker, had there been a video camera running, you know, he would have been concerned about the angles and the lighting and, you know, and I, we, I would have been too more aware of, oh my God, is that my bad side? My good, you know, all of that crap. And it would have influenced the words that came out. But as a result, we were just really talking to each other and it was so intimate and so lovely. And I I can't believe what he shared. I mean, his impressions. Are you kidding me? The man can, like, do everything. And everything he does is just genius. So take away with Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah, whatever you do, do it well. Do it the best. The man had, like, no training. He, didn't st he did study to be an actor, but he did not study to be a director. He did not study to be a writer. He just jumped in with both feet. And he did the research, though. He does the work. He did a lot of reading. He did a lot of watching film. He did a lot of studying the people that he respects. And that was his school. And he took it really seriously. He takes it really seriously. And he really listens. Um, I noticed that, you know, when I talked, he... he had genuine interest and respect. So I think that's a lot of the takeaway with Peter is to really be present, to really pay attention to everything, every detail, to allow people the freedom to express their own brilliance, as he did with Cloris Leachman, um, to know that to give actors their moment to surprise him and to be their best and to not get in the way to get out of the way that's genius that takes a lot of a lot of confidence oh, wow i'm i'm so blown away that i got to do this and i feel like it's a treasure that um Something has to happen from this with, with this, with this, I don't know. I don't know if Peter's done this before and if it's been archived, but wow, what a career, what a man, what, 
what a night this was for me. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. Thank you to Stacy again for making it possible and taking me out there and look forward to being with you guys again next week on The Road Taken. The Road Taken is a radio-free podcast here whenever you are. A new show every Tuesday. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the corner of Hollywood and Vine where I'll be using a bullhorn. Well, you can also get links to all this and more at VickiAbelson.com. That's V-I-C-K-I-A-B-E-L-S-O-N. Please follow, subscribe, review, lather, rinse, repeat. Till next Tuesday. And mine and binge our archive while you're at it. It's rich with information, inspiration, and fun, damn it. Thanks for listening. And if you like to watch, keep your eyes peeled for our next Facebook Live. Mm-hmm.